The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Welcome to A Guided Life Podcast, where we talk about all things spirit and life. I'm your host, Laura West. Follow me on Facebook at GuidedWest11, on Instagram at GuidedWest, and on Twitter at LauraWest111. I also have a website at www.laurawest.net, where you can download a free guide on how to meet your own spirit guides. My book, Guided, is available on Amazon, and it's about soul teams, intuition, mediumship, and spiritual tools such as oracle and tarot cards, crystals, pendulums, and so much more. My guest today is Imbal Honigman. Imbal has been a full-time tarot reader in England for the past 22 years. She's passionate about the thought deck, candle magic, and sun signs. Hi, Inbal. I am so excited to have you on the show with me today. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for inviting me, Laura. I'm so excited that we got to do this. Me too. This has been a long time coming and our schedules have finally worked. So here we are, not to mention schedules, but also time zones. (laughs) Yeah. It can get tricky. Yeah. I find it so exciting. I feel that for kind of the old time witches, they might have had to make do with whoever was around and that was cool. And then when I got into stuff in the 90s, people would tell me about American witches and even more people would tell me about American Jewish witches. They were like, you know, there's more of you. And it was like a fairy tale. And now we can talk to each other and see each other and technology, which is the exact opposite of what we hark back to. We hark back to astral projection and the caves, but technology has really brought us together and I think has really sort of joined diverse communities in making them closer together and made our world that little bit tighter. Yes, our world has definitely gotten smaller with technology. I mean, for instance, I would never have met you, you being in the UK and me being in the US. So, so grateful for technology for bringing us together. I am, yeah. So I would love to start a conversation and hear about the amazing things that you've been up to these days. So for anyone that doesn't know me, my name is Inbal, and for the past 22 years, being a full-time psychic and a full-time witch has been my actual job. I've made a decision in the year 2000, at the very start of the year 2000, well, I made the decision in the 90s, that from the first of the first 2000, I'm going to make a big change and leave my day job 
and focus on just making a life on my own terms with my tarot cards and with my candles and with my very deep faith in magic and witchcraft. So that was how I got into this whole life. I had been reading tarot since 1994. And then 12 years ago, it took a little diversion when I became a mom as well. And now I've got four very noisy children who, thanks to the time difference, are currently asleep in the UK (laughs) when you guys in the US are, you know, just marching through your day. And so now I juggle being a very hands-on mummy, which is still a very witchcraft practice with still using my tarot cards every single day, doing readings, helping people solve their problems, and also teaching tarot, which is a big passion of mine. I think convert the whole world. You know, people don't know what they're missing when they don't allow tarot into their lives. Oh, that's so great. Okay, that's some good stuff there. I think that a lot of my questions may be answered if I ask you to take us back to your childhood. What were you brought up with? You'd mentioned Jewish witches. Yeah. So I was actually brought up in an entirely secular household. I was born to an Ashkenazi Jewish family. And for those who don't know, Ashkenazi are Jews that came from the European diaspora. So for the most part, if you're Ashkenazi Jewish, you will have come either from Holocaust survivors or from pogrom survivors. I've got one lot on each side of the family. During those attempted genocides, a lot of Jews lost their faith and became very angry with God. And so I was brought up largely godless. We still kept the traditions and we still celebrated the holidays and Hebrew is my first language. So I read the Bible in its original language and I studied Bible at school, but we didn't have a particularly spiritual angle to look at life. And my parents are very hardworking people by nature and their parents were very hardworking people by nature and you wake up at 7am and go straight to work. Uh, We didn't even used to have breakfast, which at the time I thought, you know, maybe that was normal, but it was just very much our ethos. You get on with stuff and if something hurts, you stand up and move on from it, which was amazing in many ways. I was always a little bit different, but not exactly how you'd expect. I was the firstborn of my generation. So I am a firstborn of a firstborn of a firstborn. All my cousins are younger than me, some 30 years younger than me. So I was the firstborn of my generation. My dad was the firstborn in his family, not the firstborn of all of his cousins. I think second born. They're like thousands of cousins. And he's like the second born. So one of the old ones, I was the first girl after all the boys of the previous generation. And so I was treated like I was very, very special. I was always treated like I was very, very clever. And that gave me, I think, what in 30 Rock, (laughs) in 30 Rock, Jack Donaghy refers to 
as the confidence of a much younger woman. I've always been insanely overconfident, very comfortable with who I was. I've always aspired to live life on my own terms. And that was my massive privilege. And when I acknowledge my privilege, the biggest thing really is that I was brought up in an environment that hailed me as the most unique thing they've ever seen. Look, a girl. Look, she's walking. Look, she's talking. And that was the most encouraging, the most rewarding way to be brought up. I was also very, very clever with school stuff, with talking early, with reading when I was two years old. That, again, may have had a lot to do with nurture rather than nature, because my grandmother was a school teacher and sat and read with me since I was zero years old. But as I started school, the belief that Inval is a very special girl endured because I could do all the school stuff quite easily. And so when I now look back, when I knew stuff that I shouldn't have known, that didn't seem that weird and alien to me because I was raised to believe that I was very special and that I knew a lot of stuff. So if it was stuff from books and stuff from school, of course I knew it. And when it was stuff just from the air and stuff just from the ether, I didn't question why I knew it. And no one else questioned it either, which I guess is kind of bizarre. But, you know, as as you understand, I was just very loved and very encouraged and very supported. So it's only now that I look back as a grown up, as a woman, I look back and I think, yeah, I knew a whole bunch of stuff that I really had no business knowing. And I've always had a fascination with ancient Egypt and ancient Greece, which makes a lot of sense to me now as a pagan and as someone who worships those gods, but made no sense at all at the time. I used to have a copy of the Iliad and the Odyssey in my grandmother's house that I read since I was tiny. It's actually here behind me, but I wasn't supposed to take it. So don't tell her. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think she's still looking for it. And I was obsessed with a map of the sky of um, of the planets, which again, now looking back, I'm an astrologer, of course I would have been, but my upbringing was in one way, not at all spiritual, but in another way, so supportive that as my own innate spirituality was burgeoning, no one held it back. And so that was the background upon which I started to build when I was 20. And I was 20, close to 21, when I found tarot cards. And I thought it was very bizarre that they worked because I couldn't understand what it was there that was working, how come they were working, but they did. And again, there must have been elements of, Inbal's a very special girl, Inbal's very clever, that made me think, all right, you know, if I picked them up and tried, I'm sure I could read them. I'm sure I could at least try to deliver a reading. And I never struggled with it. I'm making it sound like I'm excellent at everything, but, you know, I'm awful at dancing and I'm not that good at baking. There's a lot of stuff that I'm just not naturally, you know, I I don't have a natural aptitude at, but it just so happened that along 
the spiritual path, I found things really easy and really natural, which I think is kind of the universe's way of, you know, drawing me in. Why don't you come and do this? It's easier than anything else. It is for me. I think what a great testament to what could happen. I mean, granted, every situation's different, but what could happen if you truly nurture a child and really gave them that confidence to really explore whatever felt right to them, didn't hold them back, didn't naysay, didn't give any sort of negative feedback that would hold them back. What a testament to that, to just the freedom, having the freedom to do that. I really agree with that. And it's something that as a parent, I try to copy. Now, I'm making it sound sort of very perfect. And there are a lot of imperfections in my upbringing as well, but they had no bearing on my spiritual path. Or actually, if anything, you know, if I come up with probably the most awful aspect of my upbringing. When I was small, in the 70s and the 80s, I don't actually know how old you are or how old the listeners are, so I don't know if you'll be able to relate. But boys and girls, listen to your auntie and bow when she tells you in the 70s and the 80s, it was a terrible crime to be overweight. Does anyone remember that? Does anyone remember before body posse? And when I was small, I walked very late because I was born with slightly wonky legs. They did their own thing and I had to have a, oh, what they called, cap, the things that um, that hold the legs strong. Oh, there's a, there's a word for it. Now they do like double nappy to widen the... Oh, I see. It's something like clicky hip. As a result, I wasn't very physical, I wasn't very sporty, and I was a little bit chunky. And there was a kind of vibe from the atmosphere around me that there was something a little bit wrong in being, I guess, very slightly overweight child. <laughs> and even in my teens, when I felt humongous, I was probably the body shape that is like my goal weight right now. So it's, you know, everything is very inflated when you're younger. In a way, even that pushed me more towards the spiritual community because the spiritual community had always accepted women without questioning their size. And even in the 90s, it was still not every sphere of existence that accepted women, big or small. By the time the 90s came around, I was already very, very largely overweight. I took it and I just ran with it. I celebrated being big. It was fabulous. And when I was a big girl, I loved it. I had enormous breasts that were universally worshipped and big curly hair. Having all the babies took some of the curl out. And I had a very larger than life personality and a big smile. And it all went together beautifully. And the spiritual community and the witchcraft community embraced me right into their heart. And so even the parts of my childhood that I could have done without, <laughs> that, I, that I'd have been thrilled if they hadn't existed, uh -huh, uh -huh. even those parts had put me on the right path 
exactly to where I needed to have been going. Well, that is such a good point. And isn't it funny how in hindsight, we have 2020 <laughs> vision, we can see clear. Yes. But that's such a good point that everything yeah. sets us up for a reason. Everything really does the good and the bad. Um, so I wanted to ask you, at what point did you start to call yourself a witch and identify with that? So I came into it via tarot cards. And this is a warning to all of you witch curious out there. When, <laughs> when fanatics tell you that tarot is just a gateway drug, they're not wrong. I started with tarot cards and I was very devoted to it, to, to the path and to the learning aspect of it. Loved the artwork, very much enjoyed being able to analyze personalities with it. But I was just a regular person that read tarot cards. I had a weird few days when I was working in London. It definitely was raining at that time, but I think it was summer. And if you know London, you know, that's not that unique because I'm thinking, was it the winter? It was definitely raining, but no, I think it was like 10 p.m. and it was sunlight. I was working in a shop, regular shop job, and a little boy came in and said, are you a witch? And his mom was like, shh, what? I don't, and she apologized to me. She's like, I don't know where that came from. And I was like, oh, it's all right. No, I don't mind. That was, you know, it was cute. He was trying to engage with me. And the following day, somebody else on the underground said, are you a witch? And the next day, somebody else, and it was just strangers out of the blue. Now, I'm the kind of person, I really believe in signs from the universe. More than anything, more than the gods, more than the mythologies, I think the universe will communicate all sorts of weird stuff with you in its own creative way. And I love that. So after three days like this, I thought, mm, that's interesting. Why don't I take myself to the bookshop? Because I didn't know any witches that I could ask. I took myself to the bookshop. Now, for anyone listening in the future, bookshops is what Amazon was before there was Amazon. And for those of you who are, in fact, 50 and over, 45 and over, when we started going to bookshops, there was no spirituality section. There was like two versions of the Bible at best. And there was certainly no witchcraft section. There were, when I went there, uh, did I go to the self-help section? I don't know. I scoured the entire bookshop. It may have been in the self-help section that I found two books about witchcraft. Oh, three books about witchcraft. Two of them went home with me. One was Vivian Crowley's Wicca, which is just an instructional text and is quite good at explaining the history and the ethos around Wicca. One was a spell book with quite a few uh, what I perceived of as negative spells, how to, you know, how to get people to stop doing stuff. Um, that stayed in the bookshop. And a real cute hybrid book called Notions and Potions. And that had tables of correspondences. A red candle means this, a blue candle means that, and a rundown of the runic symbols. This rune is for this, this rune is for that, and days of the week, and little explanations, how to use them, and how the different star signs could relate to things. And that was basically my first book of shadows. And I tried to do 
a few spells and they kind of worked. You know, obviously we start with a love spell. We do a money spell to get a new job. They kind of worked. And I became more and more interested in it. And I started thinking of myself as a trainee witch. That's how I sort of came up with it. I couldn't figure out if there was a name for it or not. I think it's now what would be called a baby witch, which I think is a very cute term for it, but I know is not like universally loved. But I called myself a trainee witch for about two years, picked up whatever I could pick up, kept looking for books, kept getting deeper and deeper into the tarot, which actually has a lot of symbolism that can be utilized for witchcraft. After a couple of years, I was on the underground in London. A new free newspaper started being distributed on the underground called the Metro. It's still going a long time later. And it would be given out on a morning to all the commuters. And then there would be, in the evening, bits of Metro everywhere. I was coming home from work, my shop job, picked up the Metro And there was a little article about a witch called Bill in a shop called Mysteries that were opening their doors to do a six-week course in magic. And I thought, that's really funny because I never really pick up the Metro, certainly not in the evening from the floor where it would have had feet and chips and all sorts on it all day. I picked it up. I cut it and kept it in my pocket and rang up the next day and signed up. I did the course, learned a lot of new things, but was also able to confirm that a lot of the things I already knew were in fact true in witch lore. And then I started thinking of myself as a witch, but I still didn't have a community. I was at my shop job that October, so that would have already been October of 99. Yeah, it would probably be October of 99. I was in my shop job and I saw one of the girls that had been on the magic course just walk down the road in front of me. I did not remember her name. And thankfully, when I cried out, Dutch girl, she turned around. (laughs) (laughs) I remembered where she was from, but I couldn't remember her name. And I said, were you on the course? And she was like, yes. Do you want to come to Pagan Federation Halloween ritual? And then I had a community. I turned up to the ritual, met my soon-to-be first witch boyfriend, met my soon-to-be coven leaders. Well, they weren't my coven leaders for another two years, but I met all the people that would have been instrumental in my life. And in the exact same way that I always listen to the weird signs from the universe, I also always grab opportunities because when I saw Dutch girl walk past... I thought, there must be a reason why she's now. I'm not going to just let her walk past. I am rugby tackling that girl to the floor and seeing why the universe has decided to get her marching right in front of my face when I'm there selling my scrunchies and custom jewelry. So all those weird intersections, cross sections and coincidences were all hugely important signposts along the way. So you mentioned some really interesting things. Coven leaders. So what is the The hierarchy? hierarchy? Can you explain the ins and outs? 
Yes. So Wicca is not an organized religion. It's very much what I like to call a disorganized religion. (laughs) There's no central figure. Here and there, you'll get people in the press calling themselves the high priest of all the witches or the high priestess of all the witches. That is categorically untrue. Wicca is constructed of lots of self-regulating covens. In Wiccan ethos, there will have been one old coven and they will have trained and initiated and brought in more and more high priests and high priestesses who then became coven leaders. And so you've got like a bit of a pyramid scheme there. But in actual fact, some Wiccan, traditional Wiccans can trace back their lineage to one of those old witches, but lineage had become, unfortunately, a very toxic way of looking at whether you are a real Wiccan or not a real Wiccan, whether you're some kind of a usurper. And when something is weaponized in such a way, it only serves to weaken the validity of it. Because of courses and books and even old correspondence courses, there are many, many Wiccan practitioners who were not initiated by any human being, but did their studies via books, via courses, and self-initiated. In my humble opinion, that is equally valid. In other people's equally humble opinion, it's not necessarily valid. We just have to agree to disagree. I can and do trace my lineage back to one of the original, I'm doing air bunnies, one of the original creators of Wicca, but I don't think it matters in the exact same way that people can be initiated into traditional Reiki and then maybe look down their nose at people who are initiated into fairy Reiki and maybe they'll look down their nose and that whole thing is just human drama and human fallibility. So in current Wicca, you have lots of covens. Many of them will be perhaps family with one another, where one group will have sprung from another group, or where one group is the sibling of another group, where the coven leaders may have been initiated by the same person. But that entire picture of a family tree that I'm describing is very flexible, very open to people crossing over from the Druid tradition, which follows the same wheel of the year of celebrating the eight Sabbaths in the year. You could have people who cross over from Asatru, which is Norse Scandinavian type of tradition. And so Wicca only becomes more and more disorganized as you go down it. And there are, in fact, a lot of ex-Wiccans now who prefer to disassociate themselves from the drama by saying that They're no longer Wicca. They no longer ascribe to it. Wicca, a little bit like perhaps Thelema, is something that was incredibly 
respected and accepted at one point and then had perhaps fallen out of favor and might perhaps get back into fashion at some or another stage in the future. For me, I feel Wiccan, but I've always felt Wiccan. I felt Wiccan before I joined the coven. I felt Wiccan before I was initiated. My connection with the Wicca is seeing the world as equally male and female, because a coven is traditionally run by male and female figures, and seeing balance in everything that I do, where earth, air, fire, water, and spirit on top are running the show. Another unfortunate aspect of Wicca is that division into masculine and feminine, which doesn't really give space to the full rainbow of gender identities. And that's something that I just don't know enough about within modern Wicca, about what we're doing to remedy that, because I have been a solitary practitioner for 12 years. Since I've got the babies, I can't really do coven meetings or anything. I I do, you know, Nickelodeon Plus and Playgrounds. (laughs) Nice. So you got a witch boyfriend. Now, are you still with that person or? Absolutely not. No. (laughs) My ex-boyfriend, who was a witch and who, interestingly, in light of what what I said just before about how Wicca at the time didn't really allow for the full rainbow of genders, my Wiccan ex was considered by us a male because he lived in a male body, but always thought of himself since childhood as female. And I don't know how he would define himself now, whether he's a he at all. Because he always said when people said to him, are you trapped in this body? And he was like, no, I'm having the time of my life in this body. He was a real free spirit that would crave relationships, but then feel very resentful of being in relationships, which he saw as very limiting. And as a free spirit myself, I kind of get that, but it did not work for me at all. We were together three years And those three years were very interesting for me spiritually. During those three years, I also found myself receiving the therapy that I very badly needed. And that allowed me to disconnect myself from struggling to live in my own slightly bingy body that at the time did strive to be a lot larger than what it was. And thanks to the strength that I found in the witchcraft practices in the witchcraft community and in the therapy, I was finally, and and actually my dad, (laughs) really a lot from having a Virgo father, allowed me to step away from that relationship and accept, well, accept, embrace that um, being single was a lot better than being with somebody who would passionately argue with you just to create a bit of drama. So when I came out of that relationship, I thought, you know what would be nice? It would be lovely to just meet somebody who worked like in a normal office, like maybe an accountant. And maybe if he had ginger hair, you know, that would be like really edgy for me. And I think creative people go with creative people, right? So you've got the witches, you've got the artists, a lot of crossover there. You've got like the fetish people, a lot of crossover there as well. You know what we don't have in our communities? Uh, Accountants. Because we do have some doctors. I've gone to 
fabulous witch meetings that had doctors, that had lawyers, very low on the accountants and like the, you know, office work. So I decided that it would be fun to have somebody like that. (laughs) So I'm trying to think how much detail is too much detail (laughs) for this story. But I had a tarot client who also worked on big high-flying magazines, and she put me forward to pitch to being the astrologer for Elle magazine in the UK, a pitch which I got and I found myself was like 2004 and I just turned 30 and I was the L magazine astrologer not having ever studied astrology properly I just used to sit with a uh, ephemeris I'd done the stars for a couple of magazines before. I'd done the stars for Alternative London magazine when it was brand new. And I did the stars for the Hebrew language magazine in London. But I was self-taught and it would take me forever. I would look at the ephemeris and go, what does it mean when Venus moves into Aries, oh, I know what it must mean. And I would just sort of try and tune into it. So by the time I did the L horoscope, I was able to put a horoscope together, but it was still sort of really hard work. And I went to the L magazine Christmas party. I was invited. And I've always said no to work parties, but there was no way I was saying no to the L magazine Christmas party. And I met a girl there who said, you should really go on this dating site. Now, this is 2004. People that went on dating sites were, you know, shunned, feared and and ridiculed. I went on the dating site that she said, because I thought she writes for Elle magazine. If Elle magazine told me to go on the dating site, I would. She used to write for Cosmo as well. So I went on that dating site, put up my profile and didn't really meet anyone, but I would chat to people. And on there... I met my now husband, who is an accountant and also has ginger hair. What? No way! Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, I didn't think anyone knew that that was like my exact order from the universe until we went to Israel and we're sitting around with my best friend from school and her then boyfriend, you know, soon to be husband. And she said to me, wait... She said, didn't you say a year ago when you finished with your, didn't you say you'd love to be with an accountant who's got ginger hair? And I was like, I told you, I can't believe I told somebody. I was so pleased that someone knew and someone remembered because, you know, unless it's really harmful, the universe will deliver exactly what you want when the time is right. (laughs) Yeah. That's amazing. And I do want to point out too that threes seem to just run in your life, right? So the three signs about people asking, you know, are you a witch? So three signs, yes. the three books at the bookstore, the three oh. years with your ex. <laughs> I mean, there's just that's incredible because I'm three. I'm three. My <laughs> birth number is three. That's incredible. I never got wow. that. And you know, I'd already shared that I had sort of struggles with my weight and with overeating. And a good friend of mine who is also a witch, who I know from the witch community, 20 something years ago when she was just sort of training in dealing with eating disorders, and she still runs flourishing eating disorder specialty 
psychology practice, she said to me, I've got a little way that can help you to stop eating. What's your favorite number? And I was like, three. And she's like, okay, so allow yourself to have one of anything, two of anything, three of anything, and then just say to yourself, but more than three is too many. And that stayed with me. This is over 20 years since she said that, but I never linked it with my life number being three. And with all those experiences, you just blew my mind, Laura. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, that's like all these patterns throughout your life so far. Pretty incredible. Incredible. I love that. Thank you so much. What a beautiful message. Well, you're very welcome. Very welcome. It helps to just listen. Clearly. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. So I'm curious, how did your husband take you being a witch? Now, I only ask because I know there's a stigma attached to one being a witch that we are still working to remedy. But so I'm curious, was, did you bring that up right away or how did that work? I brought it up straight away. We met online and the beauty of um, meeting someone online, which took a lot of explaining back in the day, but now everyone meets everyone online. Right. So, um, so younger, so younger listeners will be able to relate. But the beauty of meeting someone online is that you can just sort of send two paragraphs with everything. This is all the damage. Would you like to meet up? So for me, because there was a stigma associated, I thought, yeah, it'd be a good idea to sort of bring it up straight away, just in order to weed out anyone that was intolerant, not willing to put up with it, anyone that was very passionate perhaps about their own religion and didn't want to have to explain that to their parents. So I was super upfront right from the start and his attitude was exactly the same as my family's attitude growing up. None of it was remotely important to him. He's a real devoted agnostic, <laughs> really devoted to it. You would think somebody so devoted would be totally godless and irreligious, but he knows that we just don't know, and he is passionate about that. He said right from the start, that most of his friends don't believe in it. But, you know, he can take it or leave it. And it's not something that ruled our lives. If I was involved in any religion that sought to convert people, if I was involved in any path of life that wanted to change who he was, that would be a problem. But because witchcraft has no desire to convert. I mean, I do a little bit, but I'm not super open about it. <laughs> but because witchcraft, in the general sense of things, has no desire to convert anyone, it never got in the way. He got dragged to witchcraft moots very early on, and he came to support me at Witchfest, where I was giving a talk and my, my talks are never talks. It sounds maybe now like I love talking, but what I love doing is getting everyone reading for each other. So if I'm ever booked to do a talk, it turns into a workshop. So he had to participate in it and he did quite all right for somebody with zero background. When we started having children, I thought, oh, maybe it's all right to sort of keep all of that a little bit on the back burner until they're older. And I suddenly, out of the blue, heard a couple of my kids, the middle two, use the word psychic in a sentence. And I was like, where did that come from? 
why, how do you even know? It's such a complicated word to spell. How do you even know what psychic is? And they're like, from Pokemon. So it turns out that quite a few Pokemons have psychic as their superpower. So they know it's my job. And to them, it's a perfectly valid career path. Half of their heroes have that as their superpower. And they say to each other, Mama will know if you do it because she is a psychic. They know. (laughs) (laughs) You can't keep anything from a psychic mom. (laughs) No, no, they don't even try. Oh, that's so funny. Sometimes my kids will say, Mom, how did you know that? I'll say, because I'm psychic. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's a line that even like totally unpsychic moms could use. (laughs) Oh, yeah. But when it says that, like on on the second line of my website, they're like... Yeah, no, she's she's not kidding about it. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> okay, so you've done the horoscope for Elle magazine. What other things have you done? I was blessed with really a lot of high profile stuff. And it's looking back, it looks like quite a large body of work. But, you know, to put it in context, it has been over 20 years. So anything's going to look like quite a large body of work. I was the in-house psychic for the British Big Brother franchise one year where I did the eviction prediction segment. Um, I had to say who's going to leave the Big Brother house that time. And I was an astrologer on Talk Sport Radio, which is a commercial radio station specializing in football in the UK, in British football. And they would ask me questions like, you know, is the manager going to quit and who's going to win and stuff like that. I'd done a lot of work with magazines when I was involved in pamper parties, which was a concept that my friend Amanda was the first one to come up with, where you'd have a masseuse and a cocktail mixer and a reader coming up to your house to do the party. So we did a lot of journalist parties and ended up in lots of magazines um, in 2003, 2004. When people used to ask me if I was famous, my stock answer is that for about five minutes in 2003, I was really, really relevant. And now when newspapers have diversified into having endless content endless content. Some makes it to print, but their websites are just humongous. There seems to be a real moment for assigning star signs to everything. So at the moment, it's it's not even out yet at the time of recording this, but I just got to see a copy of Masala magazine, which is a Middle Eastern magazine for Indian expats. So it's an English language magazine. Most of the readers are from the Indian subcontinent who live in Dubai and around the Middle East. And I did them the most adorable, I think, piece assigning different star signs for the different characters in the movie Crazy Rich Asians. I think it's just so adorable. And I don't know if for other astrologers, it's like way beneath them to do stuff like that. It is not beneath me at all. I adore assigning star signs for different things. And just now, just now, just now, like literally, as I was sort of 
checking Instagram before we started recording, I saw one of my friends who is a coach going through the different types of coaches, I think, or different types of brands in marketing, the sage, the service provider, the caregiver, the powering, whatever. And there's 12 of them. And I was like, oh, I wonder if I could get star signs for each of them. And if you let me loose near a 12-step program, I could probably assign a star sign for each of those as well. So I do do a lot of press. I do a lot of media stuff. And it's a lot of fun. But the most important work that I do, the most fun work that I do, is still one-on-one readings. What I'm truly passionate about is uncovering information, coming up with a game plan for your life. Just earlier today, someone had a one-question reading, which I've always been sort of also really passionate about delivering available readings for any budget. So I've always had a one-question reading, a three-question reading. If you've only got a few cents, you know, we, we can we can do a little something. And she just wanted to know whether to stay or leave from her job. And it really sounds like a simple stay or leave answer. It is not a simple stay or leave answer. I said, if you take the offer right now, you will get more money and a lot of satisfaction. But if you hold back for three months in September, you will get a better offer along the same lines that will be more rewarding. And that, to me, is such important work because I may have saved her a lot of money. And what's for sure is that I saved her the wandering and the and the what ifs and the sleepless nights thinking, you know, should I have given that up? Should I have said yes? Have I missed out on anything? So that to me is the most exciting part of what I do. I do love the vanity work, don't get me wrong, but the, the one-on-ones is the utmost reason why I do this and not, you know, like a regular job. And I will have the link people can schedule with you in the show notes so that they can just click on it, get on your website or wherever it is and connect with you. Definitely. So Imbal, this has just been so amazing. Thank you so much. Absolutely wonderful. To help wrap up our interview... Would you be willing to do a card reading for the collective, a timeless reading that will resonate for the listener at the time that they listen to this? I would be so honored to do that. Yes. So I work with a tarot deck called the Thoth deck. The Thoth deck was conceived by Alistair Crowley, who is very well known and drawn by Lady Frida Harris, who tragically is a lot less known, but is an incredible artist. The artwork of the Thothek is spectacular to me. I'm drawing three cards as a message for the collective. And we have the Nine of Swords, which is a card called Cruelty, which relates to self-cruelty and is also Mars in Gemini. We have the Empress, which is the Venus card from the Major Arcana, and we have the Queen of Swords. To me, this message is specifically for women and female-identifying people out there that says, now is a good moment to stop telling yourself that you can't. 
Whether you believe in it or whether you don't believe in it, you actually can. Have a little think why you're telling yourself that it's impossible. Is it humility where you brought up to be humble and you think that by telling yourself that you can't, you're going along the ethos of being humble and you're diminishing yourself as as an act of good manners? Do you actually believe that you can't because there are bits of evidence laying everywhere that tell you that you can? Be honest with yourself. Take the mask off and tell yourself, I absolutely can. And when the time suits me, I will. Those that came before me did. Those that will come after me will. And I will do it. I can see it clearly now. And I'm going to do it. And it's my decision when. So that's the message I've got for everybody. Oh, that is so wonderful. Thank you so much. So helpful. I Thank really want to. Thanks for yes, asking. Of course. Thank you for doing it. Thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing your incredible journey and story so far. Definitely going to have you back on Inball because I know that there's more to share, but this is a great start. So again, thank you so much. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you. And thanks to all the listeners that listen so nicely. Yes, absolutely. Thank you to the listeners. And that was another episode of A Guided Life Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, love and light always. for help on your path to healing? I'm Lisa Campion. I'm a psychic, Reiki master, teacher, and energy healer. On my podcast, The Miracle of Healing, I'm going to help you on your healing path. Listen to conversations with leading teachers in energy medicine, quantum healing, and people who have recovered from loss and illness. Whether it's to take care of your own healing or to help other people, this is the podcast for you right here on mindbodyspirit.fm.